in the church wanted him to, to, to help the Christian Jews, the Messianic Jews, understand, the believing Jews, that Paul was not a renegade from his Judaism, that Paul truly found Jesus as the completion of his Judaism. And so Paul goes there for this purification, and while Paul's there, he's recognized by some of the um, non-believing Jews, and they incite the riot. Hey, he led a Gentile in the court of women. That's transgression number one. That's like there are big signs up. As I showed you last week, archaeologists have found them. Gentiles get in here, they're killed. The death penalty. And the Romans had allowed the Jews to, to assess that punishment. And Paul's accosted. And they drag Paul out of the temple where his soul longed to be. And they drag Paul out and they start to take him by force when a Roman tribune with some of the centurion or Roman centurions, excuse me, sees him and, 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 and takes Paul before Paul's killed. And they're going to haul Paul away as a troublemaker, at which point Paul says, time out, can I speak to the Jews? Paul, he, the, 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 the centurion says, you talk Greek? He says, yeah, I do, please. And the centurion says, okay. So Paul addresses the Jews and then he starts speaking in Aramaic, their language. And Paul tells him, hey, listen, understand, I, I'm, not, I'm not some idiot. I was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. I've been here. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I know what I'm doing here. And I've persecuted Christians better than all of you put together. I was there when Stephen was stoned. And... And I, I, I was holding the code of the people doing it. The reason I sing a different song right now is because Jesus Christ appeared to me on the road to Damascus and revealed to me that He really is the resurrected Lord. And it changed my life. And I've tried to preach, and yes, God has sent me to the Gentiles. Well, at that point, the Jews go outrageous again. This was a period of time around 58 A.D. or so, a period of time where the Jews um, were really feeling strong national fervor and were not liking anything non-Jewish. Ultimately, within the next decade, they'll start a revolt against Rome that will lead to a destruction of this temple, and it will be no more. But there's a lot of this national fervor going on. And once Paul starts saying, hey, God sent me to the Gentiles, the people just start reacting all over again. They're picking up dirt and rocks and dust and throwing it at him. They're, they're, and, and the Roman soldier takes him away. And, and, and the tribune orders that, that Paul be stretched out. And they're going to flog him with a, a, not the way he'd been caned before. This is with, I showed you last week a picture, the, the flagellum, uh, flagellum in Latin. The flagellum is something that's got spikes almost. It's got metal and glass and bones and at the end of this long leather. And, and it's the kind of thing where a lot of people who get uh, beat with it died. Um, and Paul stops it by claiming his Roman citizenship. 
And the centurion goes to the tribune and says, why are you having us do this? He's like a Roman citizen. That's illegal. If we strike him, then we're subject to death. In fact, we're not supposed to have him chained up like we have him chained up at your orders, I might add. The tribune says, well, all right, let me talk to him. Tribune goes over to Paul and says, uh, you know, Paul's looking pretty raggedy right now. I mean, he's had a tough day. He may have gone in his Sunday best, but his Sunday best has been whipped and beat up and pelted with dirt and ripped and he's been manhandled. And, and so long story short is uh, the Roman tribune says, uh, hey, if you're a Roman citizen, they must be selling it pretty cheap because you don't look like you could be uh, forking over much do re me. And um, Paul says, I was born a Roman citizen. My dad's a Roman citizen. In other words, I'm not just some Johnny come lately. And the Tribune says, oh. Well, now the Tribune's starting to do some backtracking because he's in trouble. He's bound a Roman citizen, ordered him bound, ordered him flogged, even though it hadn't happened, all in violation of the law because he just never dreamed Paul was a Roman citizen. In fact, he thought Paul was some Egyptian troublemaker that the Romans had been trying to catch for some time. And so the, 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 the tribune says to Paul, he says, okay, look, I'll fix this. Uh, unbind him. Let's take him over to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and we'll let them pass on it. It's there that Paul insulted the high priest, uh, uh, gets uh, slapped for that. Um, it's there that Paul, uh, and Paul apologized. He probably had read James. Um, thinking, <clears throat> needed trammel sermon. Um, and uh, Paul apologizes, uh, but stands by what he believed. And then it turns into a Pharisee-Sadducee fight over whether or not it's even possible to have a resurrection of Jesus or us or anybody else. And it looks like Paul's going to get ripped apart in that. So the tribune has Paul pulled out of that melee, that fight, and just says, take him to the Roman barracks for the night. We've got to figure out something to do with him. Just take him to the Roman barracks. Okay. This has been Paul's day. This is one of those days that starts out, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God of hosts. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. And it's ended not with Paul going back to his friends. Not even with Paul going to his family. Because he had family in Jerusalem at the time. Not with Paul going to get a really good meal of some pita and hummus. It ends with Paul being stuck in the Roman barracks under arrest. After his life has been this close to being taken at least three different times in the day. He's been beat up, he's bedraggled, he's worn out. And while he's not with his friends and he's not with his family, Paul, in the valley of tears, gets a wellspring of life because God is there in that Roman barracks. And God stands by him and says, take courage. Just as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you're going to in Rome. That's where we are in the flow of the story. Now we have new material. 
So Paul's crashed out in the Roman barracks. The Jews, meanwhile, they're not staying idly by his Jewish enemies. His Jewish enemies, at least 40 of them, get together and they conspire how to off Paul. They're going to kill Paul. Here's what they decide. They decide that they will get Paul brought back to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is going to call for Paul. And on the way, they're going to ambush the Roman soldiers and make sure Paul is killed. Now, these 40-plus men take a vow before God that they will not eat anything and they will not drink anything until Paul is dead. These 40-plus men go to the Sanhedrin, the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and say, hey, we've taken the vow. On our oath of holiness before God, if you'll do your part, we'll see Paul gets killed. We'll murder him. Think about that for a moment. This is truly evildoers wearing cloaks of piety and devotion. That's the way John Chrysostom described it in his sermon 1,700 years ago. We would say, wolves in sheep's clothing. Can you imagine? In the name of holiness and piety to God, I'm going to take, oh God, I swear to you, I will not eat or drink anything until I murder Paul. That's outrageous. We do live, I might add, in a day and an age where people in the name of religion do outrageous evil. That anyone could ever conceive that they are sent by God to fly airplanes into towers that have civilians, women, men, children. That we live in a day and age where people in the name of religion think they're appropriate to strap bombs on their body. Because they would sooner die themselves and out of religious piety claim to be doing God's work as they set themselves up as a, in an explosion in a marketplace. Sometimes we live in a cocoon in at least northwest Houston. There are folks who get this message on the internet that are outside that cocoon, so we, we need to speak carefully. But we, we need to remember that there are lots of people who in the name of religion do lots of horrible things. Now, let me bring it into the cocoon. We don't typically put on bombs and explode. But we also have the same need to exercise caution and make sure that we, in the name of religion, aren't doing some things that are, really don't belong there. I'm not going to give the examples because this isn't the thrust of the lesson, but if we don't take a moment to pass by it, then uh, you, you can chew on it yourself and see where it works. Well, Now, this plot gets hatched, okay? Somehow, the son of Paul's sister 
hears about it. That means it's his nephew. So nephew goes to Uncle Paul in the Roman barracks. And here, let's see. And whispers in Paul's ear. <laughs> says, hey, Uncle Paul. And tells Uncle Paul what's going down. Now, think about it. Paul's just had, God's appeared to him. Said, Paul, no worries. You're going to Rome. You will be in Rome to testify. Now, Paul gets the news from the nephew. Paul could just say, eh, let him try. God's taking me to Rome. They'll never get to me. But that's not what Paul does. Paul recognizes and Paul always teaches both sides of this coin. God takes care of us, but we're expected to do our part. We're not machines. We're not merely his pawns on a chessboard. We have feet. We can move. So even though Paul has the assurance, Paul recognizes Paul's responsibility to deal with this circumstance because it's not God's will for Paul to be killed in a plot in Jerusalem. It is God's will, Paul knows it, God told him, for Paul to get to Rome. So Paul's going to work towards God's will. And Paul says, okay, nephew, um, calls over a centurion. Centurion, would you take the... And some people are stunned by that. Paul's a prisoner. How's he able to do this? Well, Paul has incredible social standing as a Roman citizen. That centurion's not a Roman citizen. And when Paul calls him over, uh, centurion honors what Paul says. Centurion, uh, Paul says, centurion, take my nephew, or this boy, and take him to the tribune. Centurion takes Paul's nephew. Paul's nephew comes in, Tribune says, what is it? He says, well, I'm prisoner Paul's nephew, and I've got a private message for you. Tribune pulls him aside and says, what's up? He says, here it is. There's a plot. These 40-plus men have taken it. They're going to ambush your troops. It's going to happen tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. Tribune says, okay, don't tell anybody about this, okay? Don't tell anybody. You understand? And Paul's nephew says, okay. Then the tribune calls in the centurions and he says, I want you to take, he, he puts out four or five hundred troops. He's got horsemen. He says, I'm not taking any chances. Because you don't know if 40 men in an ambush, over 40 men means 50, 60, 100, 200. Those groups can, because while, while, you know, they're, they're recruiting more people probably by the minute. So the centurion says, I want you to get these troops. I want you to be here by 9 or 9.30 tonight. And I want you to take Paul to Caesarea. And when you get Paul to Caesarea, actually the troops, once they get Paul outside of the Jewish controlled ambush territory, a lot of the troops can come back. But get Paul to Caesarea. Give Paul horses or mounts to ride. Because this, this can't take three days. You've got to get there. You've got to get out of here now. And so they get the horses, they get the troops together, and they start marching. They, they get uh, 30 miles under their belt to, to a, a little military garrison. At that point, they're far enough removed. The troops, half of them return. The rest take Paul. And what the tribune also did is he wrote a letter to the governor in Caesarea. The governor in Caesarea was uh, this fellow. His name was Felix. 
And the, 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 the Roman tribune writes a letter explaining what's going down, who all these troops are bringing in this fellow to Felix. Now, time has yellowed the paper, but somehow I have managed to put my hands on what this one fellow swears is the original letter, and he looked very honest to me. So I felt like I was not wasting my money buying this incredible piece of biblical antiquity. I thought y'all might want to see the real letter. Let's see if we can make this work. Ah, yes. Yeah, it's, well, it's old. You know, you're just going to have to accept the fact that it's old. Now, before you laugh, I almost wrote this in pig Latin. Uh, not that I wrote it, but I thought it might look more authentic. Um, I know if I put it in real Latin, nobody's going to read it. My Latin's pretty rusty, but I... N.K. Octe Igpe Atenle. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency, the Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon him with the soldiers. I rescued him. Call me Rambo. And the reason I did it is because I learned he was a Roman citizen. Okay, he's lying. All right, he didn't find that out until after he'd chained him and was about to have him whipped and killed. And, but, but you gotta, like, you know, he's sending Paul. He doesn't want Paul to say, hey, that tribune did me in before. You know, I'm a Roman citizen. He died. So he's like greasing the skids ahead of time. He's laying out his story to, to Felix ahead of time. So I rescued him, having learned he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found out he was being accused about questions of their law. Let's see. Hold on. But charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. Claudius Lysias. This is really valuable. Um, so, Paul, uh, 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 this letter is sent out ahead of time. Felix reads the letter, says to Paul, I'm going to give you a hearing. You just got to wait. The accusers have been ordered to stand here. We're going to wait for the accusers. So, uh, take them off and... Uh, the waiting game begins. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Governor Felix, because we know some about him. He is an odd fella in some ways. <laughs> you can really tell the generation gap in here. I have daughters over there who are just acting like, why do people laugh at my dad? It's that shirt, isn't it? No, honey, this is the odd couple. It was a TV show that this guy was in. He played the role of Felix Unger. So anyway, yeah, oh, very good. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Felix, okay? Because we know some about him. So I found his curriculum vitae, his resume, 
and I pulled out some sections for you so that you'd know about him. First of all, let me tell you some of the personal information. He um, was originally a slave who'd been set free. He's probably not a Roman citizen himself. He's what's called a freed man. But his name, Felix, comes from the Latin word for happy or cheery. He's a guy that named cheerfulness. I don't think he was a very cheerful guy. But he certainly had the name cheerfulness. And that's what, you know, we use names now and, and try to figure out their meanings. Back then, they, it would be the, not the equivalent of us naming someone Felix. It would be the equivalent of us naming someone Cheery. Okay, because this, in their language, meant Cheery. So it's, it, it, it's you know, like we talked about Eutychus falling out the window and his name meant Lucky. It, it would mean like, hey, Lucky. You know, that's what people called him. Well, they called him Cheery. Hey, Cheery, Governor Cheery. Let's go in front of Governor Happiness. By the way, we get from the Roman, Romance language, uh, we get Felice, Navidad from this, or Felicitations, all from that same Roman root. So you got Governor Cheery. He's got three wives. Uh, his first one, by the way, was the granddaughter of Antony and Cleopatra. His third daughter, Drusilla, was 16 when, she, when he kind of seduced her away from her husband. And he brought her on board. He was smitten by the teenager. He... Um, is a freed man who has this position of power because his brother's tight with the emperor in Rome. So his brother kind of gets him in there. Now, let me tell you a little bit more we know about him. He's got some references. One reference is a Roman historian who's writing probably 40 years later, Tacitus. He says, Antonius Felix practiced every kind of cruelty and lust. Remember, he took the 16-year-old. Wielding the power of a king with all the instincts of a slave. Okay, it's not like a ring endorsement. Josephus says that Felix was the cause of much bitterness and was quick to use force against the Jewish people. In fact we'll find in Josephus. Josephus writes on the very page we ripped out of the book last week. Good thing I didn't glue it back in. Um, whoops. How did I lose that? Bam. Ah, there we go. Um, he writes about a problem that was happening in Caesarea at this time. And um, I'll, I'll put it up here, but I'll tell it to you instead of read it to you. So you can read it along or whatever you want to do. Basically, Caesarea was a city that had been built by Herod the Great. And Herod, of course, was a Jew. So the Jews were claiming that it's our city. The Syrians were claiming, no, it's a Gentile city. It's not yours. Jews were saying, hey, Herod was Jewish. Syrians so are saying, yeah, well, he put Roman temples and Roman statutes in here. Is that what you Jews do? Do you worship the gods of Rome? And so there's this civil unrest happening in the city. Now, the Jews are a bunch of rich people, and they're able to hire a lot of troops. 
The Syrians, on the other hand, they don't have a lot of troops, but the Roman army stationed there is made up of Syrians. So, you know, they got like some help in the off time from some pretty well-trained guys. So this unrest is going on, and it escalates to the point where there's quite a bit of fighting that's occurring in Caesarea at the time. If we look down here, as Felix came once into the marketplace and commanded the Jews when they had beaten the Syrians to go their ways and threatened them if they wouldn't, as they would not obey him, Felix sends his soldiers out upon him and kills a bunch of the Jews. Upon which it fell out what they had was plundered. And as the rebellion still continued, he chose out the most eminent men on both sides as ambassadors to Nero to argue about their several privileges. He couldn't handle it. He sent the problem down the road to Nero ultimately. But he's quick to kill some Jews over it and uh, was the cause of a lot of bitterness. So this is the governor who's going to hear Paul's arguments or the, the charges against Paul. Five days later, the Jews don't send their real accusers in to argue the case. Instead, they hire a lawyer, a fellow named Tertullus. And Tertullus shows up to argue the case. And Luke records it. Tertullus starts out schmoozing the judge. I've just told you about this judge. I've told you what's been going on in Caesarea. We read it from Josephus, who's alive at the time. Josephus is writing this stuff just 15 years or so later. Josephus is alive. In fact, he's one of the Roman soldiers that fights in the Jewish rebellion against uh, Rome. So Josephus says, I mean, uh, we know that Felix was not like, gee, Mr. Nice Guy to the Jews. But look at how this lawyer gives us a bad name. Look at how this lawyer argues his case. He says, and I'm quoting, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are made for this nation, and everywhere and every way we accept this with all gratitude. Make me sick. Okay, it's not true. It's just flattery, schmoozing, sucking up to the judge. I don't like it when lawyers do it now, and I don't like it when lawyers did it then. That's poor advocacy. Then he says there are three charges against Paul. Number one, he's a troublemaker. He's one of the guys that's been out there causing trouble. Now, I read it. And as I read it, I'm absolutely convinced that what, what Josephus is, I mean, what, what, what uh, Tertullus is doing here is he's trying to leave the impression with Felix that Paul's one of the ones who's been causing all of the problems there in Caesarea. See, Tertullus doesn't just say... Uh, you know, you know he's a problem in Jerusalem. He's here because he was a problem in Jerusalem. But Tertullus goes the extra step and says, actually, he's a problem beyond Jerusalem. He's, he's out all in the world. He's stirring up the Jews all over the world. This is him. You, you, you know about this. It's happening in Caesarea. That's the impression he tries to leave. Then he goes the next time. He says, see, Paul's a ringleader in this fringe religious group. You know how the nuts are. 
And he says there's a third problem too. He's a temple desecrator. I'd tell you more, but I don't want to waste your time. Of course, he didn't really have any more to say. He's kind of run out of soap. So instead, he acts like he's budgeting his time for the governor. So that's what happens. Then Felix says, okay, Paul, your turn. And he nods to Paul. What do you have to say for yourself? Paul starts out, and Paul doesn't schmooze. Paul's not a flatterer, but he does make a really clever pun. He says, okay, Governor Cheery, knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. It's pretty clever. Then he says, let's look at these charges. First of all, troublemaker. Don't blame me for these troubles in Caesarea. I've been here 12 days. You can check it out. You've had troubles for a lot longer than 12 days. Exactly 12 days. I got references. You check it out. If I'm charged with being a worldwide troublemaker, you give me one eyewitness that says I've created any kind of a disturbance. Give one eyewitness that I was behind any of this. Where are they? There's not one. Second charge, ringleader in a fringe religious group. Give me a break. I'm not a ringleader in a fringe religious group, he says. I follow the true fulfillment of the law and the prophets. I too, the dot and iota. You're married to Drusilla, a Jewish. You're familiar with the law and the prophets. I believe every word in them. Not a ringleader in a fringe religious group. We're the, we're, we're the true Jews. Jews not just by heritage, but by faith. As for being a desecrator of the temple, I never desecrated it. How can I? I'm not a Gentile. I'm a Jew. I'm allowed in there, and I went there to pay for purity sacrifices. I, w I went in there for, for purity purpose, purposes. That's what it's there for. I never desecrated anything. Give me a break. I didn't do any of that stuff. Worst thing I did is in the meeting of Sanhedrin, I cried out about my belief in the resurrection. And yes, that did create a ruckus in the Sanhedrin, but that is not what we're here about today. I mean, it was, it was brilliant. He'd have been good in court. He'd have been a good lawyer. He just laid it out there. Bam, bam, bam. All right, so the governor says, okay, I'm going to wait for my ruling until I hear from the tribune. Well, he'd already had the tribune's letter, and the tribune already says Paul's innocent. He hadn't done anything worthy of getting killed or anything, but Felix just waits. He's got these problems. You never know. Maybe he can use Paul to help remedy the problems. Ultimately, he's hoping Paul might offer him a little... Uh, Present, money, bribe, which of course Paul would never do. But it's interesting because Felix and his wife Drusilla bring Paul in and they start talking to him. And Paul talks to him about faith and Jesus and righteousness and self-control, something that Felix was clearly missing in his life. And, uh, uh, and it got to the point, actually, the first time where Felix says, Ooh, okay, this is getting uncomfortable. Uh, you got to go, Paul. And so Paul, he sends Paul out. But continues to bring him back over the next several years. Well, ultimately, 
Felix gets in trouble with Nero because Felix isn't handling the situation right. Felix sends the emissaries to Nero. Nero takes Felix down, and Felix loses his job. And Felix leaves Paul. I must be getting close. Felix leaves Paul in prison because he wants to do a favor to the Jews. See, Felix is still working on Felix's political backside. So, we'll come back next week and we'll look at his successor because Felix leaves his position as governor. And when Felix leaves, in comes Festus. <laughs> so, next week, we'll talk about what happens between Paul and Festus. Points for home. Point one. I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. Oh, I hate waiting. I especially hate waiting for something that's very important that may involve doom. I'm in the fast food generation. I'm not the kind of guy who likes even waiting in lines. You may know me from the roads because I'm the one you hate having drive the roads. I'm the one who sits behind you when the light turns green and if you don't start going, I remind you the light is green. <laughs> I confess it, it's a problem of mine. You know, it was Isaiah who said, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Because there are times God says go. Go right now. And when he says go, you got to go. But there are times where he says wait. It's painful. I hate it. But it's God. And it's his timing. Next point. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul replied. And I love what Paul did. Because the governor had already gotten a letter where the uh, tribune kind of shades and lies and leaves out, you know, glaring parts like, oh yeah, and then I ordered him beaten. And, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Governor got one story from the tribune. The governor got another story from Tertullus, which was also false. But when Paul spoke... He laid it out, the truth, plain and simple, nothing but the truth, meticulous honesty, dead on. Take that point home. Take that point in the way you deal and talk with other people. Last point. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. That's when Paul was talking to Felix and Drusilla. He started getting a little close to home. Do you know what Felix needed? He needed Jesus Christ in his life. And he had the gospel preached to him, not once, but over and over and over. And each time it got pretty close to home, he sent it away. Why would anyone send away the message of God that says, I love you and I want you and I want what's best for you and I want to be with you eternally and I want it enough to where I'll die for you. Why would anyone send that away? Oh, I don't want that. Heaven forbid I be with God. 
I'm having such a more miserable time here on earth. I'd much rather continue. Never put off an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord. Never put off an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord. Never put off an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Draw us nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where you've died. Minister to our hearts. Speak with meticulous honesty directly into who we are. And draw us into greater faith, greater devotion, greater love, greater service, and greater appreciation for who you are. Lord, we dwell in your midst. And truly, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Through Jesus we pray, amen. Doubtless make in the future Savior coming to redeem us for eternity. And then finally, Lord, I ask you to take each one of us and grow our hearts with your love, your compassion, your kindness, your caring, your attention to others. Lord, I pray that we will love you more fully than we ever have before. With respect and appreciation and awe at you as God and as Father and Jesus as Savior. That through your Spirit, Lord, we'll love each other. That arrogance, snootiness will have no place. That race, that anything, money, that uh, looks, personality, Lord, nothing will get in the way of us loving each other in your body the way you love each of us. We pray through Jesus, our head. Amen.